Welcome. Thank you. Welcome back to all of you who were listeners previously and you're wondering what the heck happened? Where were you these past 90 days? And let me just tell you that this particular hiatus or this break that I caused myself taking was extremely intentional and it gave me the much needed time to recalibrate and to really truly understand what is it that I'm doing and what is it that I'm trying to portray and instill and to uh, pass on to all of you who are taking the time to listen today. So for those of you who are new to me, hello, welcome. My name is Shaymoni Tracy. I am a educator, education specialist, working with children from mild to severe needs. Uh, I am a mom of two amazing young men, two young boys. Uh, going on 10 and 7 this year. So it is absolutely amazing that for about as long as I've been a mother is about as long as I've been a teacher. So I began my teaching journey back in 2015, working initially as a sub before transitioning in the moderate to severe autism classroom, before eventually falling into this space where I currently hold now, working in a mild moderate classroom with students who have emotional and behavioral disturbances. But I say all that to say how I have learned to manage behavior, how I have learned to teach self-regulation, to teach communication training, to teach social skills, It has evolved with me over this time. And someone who is super stellar about rocking a room and throwing my weight and letting it be known that I was in charge and you were not going to run me, I have most certainly changed my demeanor, my posture, my expectations, my delivery. And um, I have to share those insights with you, which has caused me to create this podcast. So welcome. Thank you for having me, listening to me today. I am um, hoping to impart some information to you that you're going to find valuable and as well as being able to use it in your daily life. Um, These are information and this is things that I use with my own children, that I use in my own classroom, that I uh, bestow onto my colleagues, who I pass on to these parents that I'm currently working with, to clients that I have, and to the students that I interact with on a daily basis, right? So I, at the beginning of the year, made this declaration that I was going to stop punishing children. And when I tell you that that in particular, completely threw me in terms of how I decided to maneuver and manage and reinforce and reward kids changed, right? And it has to be a way that was meaningful to both them, that gave me um, what I was looking for in terms of how I envisioned my authority and how I envisioned that cooperation in our partnership in my classroom and in my home, right? And um, the story started with uh, over New Year's Eve, my sons broke one of their switch controllers. And uh, initially the idea was to send them to their room (laughs) so that they can think about what they've done. And it was in the midst of that that I come to realize like 
what the behavior is and how we respond to the behaviors, oftentimes those things do not match. And if that is the case, then what is the lesson to be learned, right? So moving into this space of teaching children and creating learning moments and creating opportunities to um, expand on their knowledge and expand on what they were thinking and how they were feeling, that moment in particular, it really required us to sit down and to stop and think about, well, how were we instilling the values that we had thought we were imparting by getting them to take care of the things that they have, right? And were we being consistent in terms of responding to them when they weren't valuing the things that we gave them? And the resounding answer that we had to say for ourselves was no. <laughs> we weren't instilling those values by allowing them to not necessarily take care of the things that we gave them. We weren't being consistent in terms of how we responded when they weren't valuing those things. We weren't being consistent in terms of showing how special something was and allowing them or in, imparting into them how we wanted them to do this thing in a particular way. So what we were hoping for was really a guesstimation. We were hoping that they would get it in transit. We were hoping that uh, they understood. It was hopeful, but it wasn't direct. It wasn't consistent. It wasn't intentional, right? So what we were doing was really setting ourselves up so that our children could be careless, so that our children could be irresponsible, so that our children could respond back in a way where they were living below our expectations because we were not very clear on them. So taking that into consideration, knowing that I'm no longer punishing my children, I flooded that over into my classroom to say, I'm not going to punish students either. I have to find another way to reward behavior, to get students to do what is it that we're asking and requiring of them, and to get them to do it in, an, in a meaningful way without the threat of losing recess time, without the threat of losing a reward, without the threat of not having access to something in particular, we had to truly embed and to impart like things are being earned around here, that there are some things that you are privileged to, some things that you are entitled to because you're a human and we respect you and you're a scholar and we respect you, but there are other things that, yes, it requires responsibility. It requires kindness. It requires respectability. It requires you being safe in order for you to access them. And us setting that expectation of when, then, and not if, then, because it removes the question of do they have to or not. The expectation is the expectation. So you're going to live up to the expectation. What we are then requiring of you is to live it out so that we can then follow through with the thing that we said we would do. And if I lost, if that was lost upon you, my apologies. It's very a roundabout way of saying how I moved into these skills that children need to have in order for them to eliminate problem behaviors came from one, the idea that I have to remove children doing things to get things or to avoid having something happen to them. So when we got to the spot of you're going to acquire this skill, not for the sake of getting more free time, not for the sake of 
um, having that tangible thing that gets you to do this thing, not for the sake of avoiding the punishment that comes if you don't do this thing, but really the true intentionality of you now have a skill that was taught to you in the same way we taught our children to do everything. When you have the skills to perform, you naturally just do them because you're able, right? And because you're able to do these things, we saw a stop in a lot of behavior, so much behavior, so many problematic behaviors, so much physical aggression in my classroom. We saw a stop of property destruction. There was a stop of bullying. We saw a lot more self-regulation, children able to communicate and advocate and become self-aware in a way that truly challenged me to let me understand like, I still have some learning to do. And I stand before you all as the as the main guinea pig, right? As the lead liaison of like, let's see what happens if we try this out. So I've tried this out and I'm coming on to you because I want to share what we've tried in hopes that you'll try it too. So I imagine that you stumbled upon this podcast because the title caught you, right? You want to know what are these seven skills that, you know, my child needs in order to eliminate their problem behaviors. And first, let me create this caveat or this um, asterisk in the corner of, is it a problem or is it annoying? And as adults, we are some of the most easily perturbed people in the world because we have the authority to do the things that we would like. So when things are done, not in the way that we like, we are able to speak out against those things. So I say that to say, is your child engaging in a behavior that is just annoying <laughs> and they're able because they like the way it sounds, because they really like that song, because this is just the routine that they engage in when they participate in that thing or when that movie plays or when they eat their spaghetti or whatever it is. Is it annoying or is it a problem? And it falls into the area of being a problem when they become unsafe, they make themselves unsafe, they make someone else unsafe, <laughs> or um, overall it's creating a hectic situation where something can go horribly wrong, right? And that typically is a problem behavior. So your child protesting uh, homework at the table by crossing their arms and sitting back, it's a little bit of a problem. I get it because <laughs> it prolongs how long before you guys are able to be done with homework. And I definitely have, and these skills can, you know, you can attribute th those skills to this in terms of that situation, but moving away from the idea of like, they're doing this thing that's incredibly annoying and I wish they would stop because they have the right to annoy people, most certainly. Um, but is it really a problem? Like it's affecting our lives. It's affecting our day-to-day -day routines. It's impacting our ability to do a lot of things. It's making it really difficult for us to maneuver as a family. It's making it so that we can't leave them in certain spots. It's making it so that we have to constantly be hypervigilant about what they're doing. It's making it so that certain people have to be prompted before they speak to our child. Is it making it so that, again, life is getting 
difficult <laughs> because of this behavior that they're engaging in. And this, if anything, is the response that I have to that. There are seven skills, seven skills. And when you hear them off the cuff, it's going to sound simple. It's going to sound like, duh, it's going to sound like, oh, um, but I say that to say this, these skills at the basic level, at its surface level are just part of the behavior that you are seeing, right? It's because your child doesn't have these skills that they're engaging in those behaviors that are much more difficult. So let's just run them off, all right? So the skills that I want you guys to take into consideration that you must know, right, in order for your child to stop with these problem behaviors are the ability to self-regulate, right? the ability to communicate, the ability to maintain attention, the ability to adapt in situations, to have cognitive flexibility in those moments, and then in order to survey the room, have social thinking. And in that, to top it off our work habits, all right? So those are the seven skills, one to seven. Self-regulate, communicate, Attention, adaptability, cognitive flexibility, social thinking, and work habits. So maybe you're asking the question, what are those things? <laughs> and what do they mean? And how does that matter? And how does that change behavior? And what should I do now? So really, um, I'm going to ask you this. Is your child able to self-regulate? Is your child able to understand in a moment the emotion that they're feeling, name that emotion without attaching a feeling to it, right? So they have the emotion and then their thoughts on that emotion also impacts their ability to regulate it or not. So if your child is perfectly content being happy, then we're all good. But if you have a kid who struggles or suffers with anxiety and then they have judgment for themselves in the moments in which they have anxiety, that it impacts their ability to self-regulate because rather than calming down, they're so frustrated that they allow themselves to be frustrated that now they can't get back to calm. And as an adult, I'm sure you can imagine or think of times in your past or even in your present where you have been so upset and you were mad at yourself for being upset. And rather than getting over being upset, you just cycle in terms of your being angry because I believe that made me mad. Dang, why am I acting like this? What am I going to do now? You spiral in that emotion and rather than being able to self-regulate, be able to calm down, be able to get back to your baseline, be able to get back to normal, you sit in this cycle of just being frustrated or angry or sad or depressed or whatever other feeling that you want to pull in. So they're scared, they're nervous, they're irate, they're however you want to answer. It's not having the ability to calm down, 
Are you able to think rationally when you're frustrated? Are you able to think rationally when you're angry, when you're nervous, when you're upset, when you're scared, when you're excited? Because we have kids who, ah, they get geeked. And that's so dope that you're so excited. But sometimes their excitement has them going off the walls. And now you're afraid to allow your baby to get excited because we're concerned they're going to get overstimulated. And what their overstimulation looks like can be very uncomfortable for others, right? So again, having that ability, having that um understanding of what is it that you're feeling, how to show that emotion in a way that's appropriate, but also how to curtail it in a way where it's still socially acceptable because there's always room for every emotion. The idea or the understanding then is when are you able to show that emotion? And I know I just want to take away the disdain that a lot of people feel when it comes to being angry and how, for whatever reason, we have taken away a child's capacity to be angry. But there are situations that truly evoke anger and anger is appropriate. So then it's not a question of whether or not we are allowing our child to be angry. It's the question of how are we showing them what angry can look like for them in a way that's appropriate. And that is a big to do because again, in my household coming up, I wasn't allowed to be displeased. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to be annoyed. I wasn't allowed to be angry. I couldn't even be excited. Like that was a, a challenge. Calm down. What you what you so loud for? Like it was always something. So again, allowing children the freedom and the joy and expression in our homes is one first and foremost. But then again, also giving them the skill to be able to get back to normal so that we can keep going about our day. So self-regulation, if they're unable to self-regulate, I imagine that that may be a problem in your home. And this is a reason why you're seeing some of the things that you're seeing. All right. Okay. Number two, skill number two, the ability to communicate. And by that, I'm not simply saying if they're talking or not. I'm saying, do they have the ability to understand spoken directions, right? Do they have the ability to follow in conversations, right? So if you say one thing and they hear something and they respond back and then you respond back, are, is your child able to follow the flow of that conversation? And if so, for how long before they taper off, right? And that is for all of us. How many times have you given your husband directions only to have him come back and be like, you said something about something. And it's not because it wasn't important what you were saying. It's just, I got the general gist of it. And I thought I understood. And then I went to go implement and... I must be missing something because you said something about jelly or however the conversations with your partner goes. But I know, again, following that conversation is a to-do because oftentimes what happens is our children are able to receive some of the information, but they don't receive all of it. And they go and they try to execute with only part of the information and we see them stumble step in the thing that they're attempting to do, which then leads to this disruption because they're frustrated that they didn't do it correctly, which is then a problem because they don't have the ability to self-regulate. And then we see this spiral <laughs> that takes 
saves place because they're just trying to do the thing and they can't. But lastly, the ability to tell someone, anyone, if and what is bothering them. That's the ability to communicate and being able to voice those things in a way that's appropriate, in a way that's not intimidating, in a way that's not uncomfortable, because things bother people all the time, right? The lights are too bright, the volume is too loud, the work is too hard, the room is too dirty, whatever the case may be, but how are they able to come and communicate that to you is really the thing that the issue, especially if you have a child who yells, it feels like, or whose tone doesn't sound good, or who always comes across as angry, or they become aggressive because they get upset, and rather than yelling, they start to hit things in order for them to further express themselves, and that bounces back to that self-regulation piece, right? That bounces to the idea of whether or not they're able to positively communicate, and if you see that or you don't see that, then that's what it is. It's, they're struggling to communicate their wants and their needs, or they are asking for those things, but they're unable to tell you what is it that they need. And that, again, is part of that self-regulation piece. Yes, you're up here. What do you need to come back down here? And that's a big deal, especially if you don't know how to answer that question. So getting curious about the things that they seem to be missing, that they seem to be lacking, and then giving them the words to tell them back to you. Yeah, I don't know how to do this thing. Yeah, I don't like it when. Yeah, uh, I understood part one, but the second part kind of lost me. Communication can lead to a lot of problem behaviors, especially when there isn't any, or if it's a miscommunication of some sort. The third thing that we, or the third skill that we need our kids to have and recognize and to move in order to avoid and eliminate problem behavior is the ability to maintain attention. So being careless isn't willful. <laughs> it's a skill that some don't have because it requires looking at the details. So does your child stick with the task until it's done or stick with the task for a meaningful amount of time? Are they able to maneuver and do the pieces in a way that makes sense? Are they able to arrange themselves and their items or their task or whatever in a way that's sequential. Like that makes sense that you grab the peanut butter and then you grab the jelly and then you grab the bread. But then it's not as meaningful when you see a plate and a knife and the peanut butter is open, but the jelly is still in the fridge. And then one bread and it's just like, what's happening here? And again, that muddling through is telling you what is it that your child is struggling with, right? Like they're not seeing 
the middle, they have the beginning and they understand the end, but that middle piece, they can't lay it out in a way that makes sense, which again, creates that frustration, that creates that irritation that goes back to the ability to self-regulate. If you recognize that you're becoming confused, that things are getting difficult, that you are having trouble, that, you know, um, a lot is happening around you and you're noticing the, the drip in the faucet or you can hear the humming from the lights or um, your brother, your baby brother keeps saying this comment to you and it's irking you and now you're not able to, you can see how it cycles and spirals. And again, it's never one singular moment. It's the compounding of moments and the overwhelm that creates these problem behaviors and what looks to us like something that came out of nowhere could have really been building up over time and we're just now noticing it, right? So the biggest lesson, uh, especially over the past few months in terms of being able to recognize when a child or a student is regulating or self-regulating when they're coping is if you are looking at them and you're noticing that they're coping, you're already too late. You're already too late. So understand that we are coping and self-regulating throughout the day overwhelmingly every single moment we're coping we're deep breaths we're I'm okay that's not such a big deal that noise is annoying but it really doesn't bother me we're doing that all throughout the day we're managing our frustration we're managing our annoyances we're dealing with heat we're dealing with hunger we're dealing with thirst we're dealing with tired we're doing that all the time. And our inability to self-regulate, it only comes across when it's breaking down. When we're breaking down in how we self-regulate, that's when other people can see it. When we see that someone is having a hard time, it is now beyond the space of I'm just fine. Now I'm coping in a way that outwardly looks like what coping looks like but understand they're coping all day if they are dealing with a difficult situation they're dealing with something new they're simply standing in the street they're sitting on the couch they're coping they're coping it's when you can physically see it has something gone past their thresholds where now you see the deep breath because it's become that bothersome. They were fine, they were maintaining, but now they're irked. Now they're triggered. Now they're annoyed. If you can see it, you miss the window. You miss the bus. <laughs> you miss the bus and now you're just seeing it leave you. And that's exactly what it looks like and feels like when our child or our children get dysregulated and we're just trying to catch up. We missed the bus and now we can see it. And now we're dealing with the aftermath of trying to chase that thing down so that it stops. Okay. So if your child is having difficulties ignoring some of those annoyances, ignoring some of those frustration, 
who has difficulty maneuvering through because they see an issue and then they get stuck because they can't problem solve their way past it, then that's just a difficulty with attention and perseverance and the ability to what? Self-regulate. They can't cope. All right. So the fourth thing, adaptability. <laughs> adaptability. And oftentimes we think solely from the lens of transitions, right? Either we're coming or we're going or we're shifting from one thing to the other. And we think, oh, they're doing a great job adapting. But really, adapting is a lot of things. Adapting also includes being able to see solutions or being able to imagine a hypothetical event. If I do this, then what happens? If I do this, then what happens? If I'm able to handle the gray when things are not black or white, but they're somewhere in the middle. If it's not fair or unfair, but it rubs me the wrong way. Like this is how we discern whether or not someone is able to adjust when things don't go as planned, when things don't take place as we think they should, when things are moving outside of what we typically expect. And that happens throughout the day, even with simple conversations that we have. Hey, how are you? You're expecting a, I'm fine. From most people, right? Unless you're on the phone with your best friend, unless you're on the phone with your partner or your husband, unless you're, you know, talking to your kid and you're noticing that they look upset. But if they don't, and then you ask that question and then I go, hey, how are you? And they go, oh, things are awful. You're immediately, what? What happened? And that ability to adjust and to move in that space and to rock with it. A lot of our children do not have that flexibility. They do not have the skills to adapt. They don't understand the middle. They don't understand the gray. And it doesn't feel fair. It doesn't feel good. And again, it goes back to, I don't like that. That's not good for me. Are you able to regulate that? And oftentimes the answer is, no, <laughs> especially if you have multiple children, especially if you're at the dinner table and it's someone's favorite dinner, but not the others. Again, you're wrestling with a lot of circumstances and a lot of influences on this one situation. And again, it comes from, are they able to adapt? Are they able to communicate that? Are they able to regulate themselves in the moments where things don't go their way? And you can see how these skills compound on top of each other in a great way that makes it really impossible for you to hit the brakes on any given situation because you're dealing with so much. Very rarely is it just one. Very rarely. Moving forward, my absolute favorite, and I am so geeked that I found this word, and the expression specifically is cognitive flexibility. So if you have any idea 
what the expression of mental gymnastics is, right? The mental gymnastics someone has to do to go on a TV show and decide to date Flavor Flav. Sis. (laughs) The things you have to convince yourself of to make that work. How? How? I digress. Cognitive flexibility is that but in the positive, right? So so mental gymnastics is like the foolery that you have to then accept in order for you to move forward and say, this is fine, I'm good, it's all good. Cognitive flexibility is the ability to change your mind, to have a plan, to see the plan, to envision hypothetical situations that take place and to say to yourself, "Mm, but I'm gonna try it this way. Or seven plus three is nine. And then standing on it, two ten down and not being able to adjust because you can't stand the idea of being wrong. Not being able to apologize because you don't want to have to admit fault. Not taking accountability because if you make a mistake, then you are the mistake. These are some of the things or the internal dialogues that some of our children are wrestling with. And it makes it very difficult for them to go back on the things that they said or go back on the things that they did or go back and take accountability. And it makes it very simple for them to overgeneralize. Everyone's being unfair to me. Things are always so hard for me. Oh, I can never do anything right. That psychological piece makes it really difficult to put something new into those old wineskins, right? So what we see are children who have a lot of negative self-talk make it so that they're down on themselves and they behave poorly because they always have. But this is just what I typically do. So I'm gonna just do it. That's the lack of cognitive flexibility. Oh, well, I never get to do so-and-so, but so-and-so always gets to do it. That's not fair. That's not having cognitive flexibility. Um, There's a change to plans and you don't understand why it has to be this way, even though you've explained it for the fourth time. It's not the explanation that they can't get past. It's just they can't move away from the idea of, well, I was supposed to get this thing and now I can't. And let me put a caveat to that because that in and of itself, that changes with age. So what you would hear is the six-year-old who asked the question, can I play the game? Can I play the game? Can I play the game? Expecting there to be a new answer. And that, if in anything, is just a six-year-old being a six-year-old. And it's fine when your six-year-old, i.e. mine, asks you the same question eight times. And I'm going to stay on that answer all day because I answered one way and I know I can't pivot because if you ask the question eight times and I change my mind at question eight, my child then knows I just got to keep asking mom and by the eighth time, I'll get it. That is all cute and well until they're 12. Can I have my phone back? 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 It hits different when they're 12. 
Can I get to YouTube? Can I get to YouTube? Can I go to the mall? Can I? The repetition will drive you crazy because at some point as they get older, you have this idea that they're going to understand things are different now. And when they aren't, it's confusing for them. So again, that cognitive flexibility, the idea that they can shift away from what was originally planned is what could lead to those problem behaviors. And when they're unable to do that, you see their lack of their ability to self-regulate show itself up in other ways. Okay, so cognitive flexibility. Mental gymnastics, but like negative. Okay. <laughs> then social thinking. Social thinking is your child's ability to just read the room. Can they read the room? Can they pay attention to social cues? Can they pay attention to nonverbal social cues? Are they able to interpret facial expressions appropriately? Are they able to initiate and start conversations with others? Do they know when to interject? Do they know how to interject? Is it polite when they do so? Is it... Um, one-sided when they try to? Are they extremely self-absorbed and they're not waiting for a response? And again, this is when we take into consideration age. Your three-year-old is on their own, on their own trip. They don't care what you're doing. You're going to come do what they do. And most 12-year-olds, 10-year-olds think the world revolves around them and rightfully so because it's all about me. But in the same sense, we want them to be able to get along with others. We want them to be able to make friends. We want them to be able to empathize and see what behavior is and is not appropriate. We want them to be able to do that. And when they aren't able to do that, then that can lead to some other isolating, um, self-sabotaging, that can lead to some hostile situations, that can lead to fighting, that can lead to you know other forms of physical aggression. And it can get real really quick. <laughs> it can get real really quick. And then the last one is just work habits. And that's like a compilation of all of those things. But it shows up in the physical production of like, well, how well do they do in, in doing their work? How well are their skills of self-regulating and communicating and adapting and paying attention and having cognitive flexibility and social thinking? How well are all of those things working together? And if you have a child who isn't the greatest scholar, then I imagine that it's because one of those other skills is lacking severely. And it's not just in the space of intelligence. It's not just in the space of instruction. It's just, it's not in the space of the amount of time. It's because one of those skills you're lacking. Your child is suffering or struggling in self-regulation and communication and attention, adaptability, cognitive flexibility, or social thinking. So if we take away this idea that they're choosing not to. And instead we say, they seem to be really struggling with. We can directly impact their behavior by working on that skill. And I've done it in real time. And in real time, we have made an acceleration for our students who have been struggling for years. 
for years by working on this skill, just one, <laughs> it suddenly is impacting all the other skills and their abilities to interact with others and their abilities to advocate for the things that they want and their ability to, you know, get the things that they want and their ability to earn the things that they would prefer. Like we have seen an acceleration in the past 90 days that is out of this world, just because again, we already decided children are responsible for their own behavior. Great. We understand that they are not choosing to do poorly. They don't have the skills to do well. They're not choosing to do poorly. They don't have the skills to do well. All right. So this was at all <laughs> in impactful or meaningful for you. Because when I tell you this has changed my life, this has superbly changed my life from working with sixth graders to working with kindergarten students. Understanding this is how they are maneuvering and this is the skill that they need help in has really helped us in terms of modifying behavior, eliminating behavior, and getting these students who were once a problem for the classroom, getting them to be a truly meaningful addition to their, to their peers, to the classroom, to the culture, and not just from the space of, well, we have to make room for everyone. We're putting that at the center that we understand everyone has a place here in this room. And rather than them having an impact in a way that's to the detriment of others, they are truly adding something positive to everyone in the room. And I am absolutely here for it absolutely here for it. So I'm going to be teaching more on these skills for positive behavior to eliminate problem behavior uh, in this upcoming masterclass that I'm going to be having. So if you're definitely interested in it, by all means, just leave a comment down below. Uh, I would love to get you connected to some additional resources so that uh, you can help eliminate those problem behaviors and curate some calm. So in the space of Maya Angelou and knowing better, you do better, here's doing better. All right, Shay Tracy, I'll talk to you soon.